This morning's reading is from Matthew chapter 18, and we begin to read at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he, his wife and his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Um, If you've been here for the last few weeks, you'll know that we're continuing through a mini-series looking at the Lord's Prayer. And today, um, we've come to that passage of the Lord's Prayer that says, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So let's pray, shall we, as we come to reflect on this. Loving Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that you offer through Jesus. And we ask that you would speak to us and help us to be those who forgive others. Amen. I have to be honest, um, I'd, when I looked at the passage that I had this morning, I thought I'd rather not preach this. And when I looked at the part that we were looking at from the Lord's Prayer, I thought, do you know what, this is the most challenging part of the Lord's Prayer for me. It's where prayer meets practice. It's, when I, it's where I stop short when I come to pray the Lord's Prayer. Because I have to ask whether it's really what I do and what I believe. 
You see, I love calling God Father. That's an incredible privilege. I can pray, your kingdom come, Lord. I can ask for my daily bread. I'm very good at asking for what I need. But I always come up short when I pray, forgive my sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's, re- it's, when I re- it's where I realize that prayer is not just about saying words to God, but it's also about the way that God changes me. Now, whether we forgive is a critical question at this time, isn't it? Should we, can we forgive the perpetrators of the recent terror attacks? I was reading that the mother of one of the victims of the Manchester bombing said this, Although I don't want to know his name, I actually have forgiven this guy, she said. I don't feel any negative feelings about it. I know that may sound a bit controversial, but it's genuinely how I feel. I don't know what you make of that, but I find that astonishing. Amazing that she's able to forgive, and I praise God for that. But how can she not have any negative feelings about it? I don't know. I'd love to talk with her about that. But this question of forgiveness is everywhere, and it's a thorny subject. Does forgiveness mean forgetting? Does forgiveness inevitably lead to restitution? Is it right to forgive in every situation? What's the relationship between forgiveness and justice? Now, I'm only going to be able to touch on some of those questions today, but I would encourage you to keep talking about this over your dinner tables, with your friends, in your small groups. Let's face it, there is plenty of material on our TV screens to kick off that conversation, isn't there? And I'd encourage you to look through your Bibles to see what God says about this really important topic. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus gives us some pretty straightforward teaching as he responds to the disciples' request to teach them to pray, how to pray. He says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And that's the line in the Lord's Prayer when I realize that prayer is a verb. Prayer is a doing word. It's as much about what I do as it is about what I say. You see, God does something in people that pray. My experience is that as we pray, we're also changed. But before we dive into these things, let's look at the first half of this petition because it's a wonderful prayer, isn't it? It's a prayer that we can all pray. Forgive us our sins. Forgive me my sins. Now, the old version of the Lord's Prayer that I grew up knowing was, forgive us our trespasses. Now, I always had a little bit of an issue with that because trespasses, trespasses always seemed slightly tantalizing. They sounded like schoolboy pranks, like the times that me and my brother used to shin under the fence of the nearby school and play in their grounds until the caretaker chased us off. That was trespassing. And my issue with forgive us our trespasses is that it feels as though it trivializes my sin to something slightly naughty and a bit of fun. 
But Matthew, whose Gospels we read from earlier, says, forgive us our debts. It's got a financial and economic meaning. And in this complex time with interest rates where they are, some of us may favor having a level of debt. But there is a debt that becomes all-encompassing, that feeds our anxiety. It might be that we're overstretched on the mortgage, that we've spent too much on the credit card, and these things can keep us awake. I remember a guy in a previous church I was in who believed that he was in control of his gambling and his debt. He thought he was uh, okay, just one significant win, and that would make everything balance. He wasn't in control, and it was only when the bailiffs came for him that he could turn to his family and say, I'm in a mess and I need help. It may be that there are some people here today who are in that kind of financial position. You might hide it very well. But if that's you, please do come and talk to me or one of the clergy here. Not that we've got all the answers for you, but we can point you in the direction of those that might be able to help. And I think sin is a little bit like that too. You see, we sin and we can't pay the debt. And sometimes it feels like we're in a terrible mess. Does it feel that we can't throw off a particular pattern of sinful behavior? Is our, is our society so broken that it feels as though there's nothing we can do to address the injustices of wealth inequality that we've seen through the Grenfell House disaster? Are we running up debts that we can't pay? The parable that we read earlier indicates that one of the reasons we might struggle to forgive others is because we lose our understanding of just how much we've been forgiven. Eternal debts, that's what we come to God to ask for forgiveness for. We've run up a huge debt and we just can't pay it. Just as that gambling addiction caught up with my friend, so our sin sometimes catches up with us. Do we find the shame unbearable? Do we wonder what's going to happen when we die? There's only one response for us. Forgive me. Forgive my debts. You see, this is a prayer for us all, no matter how indebted we may feel. No matter how much of a mess we seem to have made, we harbor jealousy. We harbor selfish ambition, pride. We have angry feeling towards others. We live in an unjust society and we perpetrate those injustices. And so we ask for God to cancel our debt, to redeem it, to ransom us. Do you see how the language that's used of salvation is economic? Forgive our debts, redeem us, or buy back for a premium price, ransom us. The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many, literally to purchase a slave out of bondage. And what was the last thing that Jesus said on the cross? He said, it is finished, tetelestai, it is finished. That's an accounting term. It is paid in full. Jesus uttered these words and he declared the debt owed to the Father to be wiped away completely, forever. If you're feeling the weight of sin, hear these words. 
your sin is paid in full at the cross of Christ. If you've got a broken and a contrite heart, your sin is paid in full. If you're a slave to lust or in bondage to any kind of sin, hear these words, your sin is paid in full. If you look at the sins of the world and acknowledge your place in making them happen, hear that your sins are paid in full. You see, God paid the price of our sin with the premium price of Jesus' life. Forgiveness isn't based on our good deeds. Even the very best is not good enough. We rely on the mercy and the grace of God, which is why we pray, forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins. If you've not done that before, if, or if you've realized this morning that there are areas of your, your life where you haven't asked for forgiveness with genuine repentance, where you need to hear that it is paid in full, then can I encourage you to pray that prayer this morning? And throw yourself onto the mercy of God who is a good father and who loves you. Forgive us our sins. That's the wonderful prayer of the first part of this petition that we can pray with confidence. But the bit that always draws me up short is the second part. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. There's a command here to forgive those who sin against us. Forgiveness is for the forgiven. We're not saved by our forgiveness, but the first fruit of forgiveness is a forgiving heart. And that isn't easy, is it? Many of us have been wronged and justifiably feel aggrieved. How can I forgive him? She hasn't even apologized. Why should I forgive? Friends, prayer can't change the past, but it can change us. It can change our future, and it can change how we let the past hold on to us. C.S. Lewis once said, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful idea until we have to practice it. Now, our reading from Matthew 18, and do turn to it um, if, you've, if, you, if you've got it with you, uh, page 985 in the Church Bibles. Our reading is all about forgiveness. Jesus teaches us to deal fairly with the faults of others. That's in verses 15 to 20 that we didn't read about. But this is the context that we come into. Jesus has been teaching about how we need to deal with sin, with faults in other people. And now he comes on to how we also need to deal graciously with grievances. Good old Peter, he's the one who steps up. He often is, isn't he? He steps up at verse 21, how many times shall I forgive? Seven times, is that reasonable? You see, they've been talking about dealing with the faults and the sins of other people. And Peter knows that forgiveness has got to be part of the deal. But he's also aware that forgiveness can be abused. So how many times should it be offered then, Jesus? The rabbis of the time, they said three. Three strikes and you're out. So Peter here is being generous. He's going above and beyond. Let's double it and add one, shall we? That seems like a good guess. Seven times, Jesus. But Jesus goes further still, doesn't he? 
77 or 70 times seven times, he says. Now, he's not giving an upper limit. It isn't about counting up to 490. But the point is that forgiveness is limitless. There's no number we can count to and then say, right, that's it. Forgiveness is a fundamental trait and mark of the church. And as forgiven people, one of the characteristics of our lives should be forgiveness of others. But it's just so hard, isn't it? And that's why we need God's perspective on forgiveness. And I think that's why Jesus tells us this story. So there's a king, and he's sorting out his accounts. And he calls, so he calls in his debtors, and he works out the payments. Now, one man there, he owes, he owes 10,000 talents. All you need to know about that is that it's a ridiculous amount of money. One talent was about 20 years uh, of average wages. So we're talking about 200,000 years of wages. It's an astronomical amount of money. This man faces a disaster that he cannot pay. The point is that it's so large, so huge, that he cannot ever pay that debt. And he's brought before the king and he begs, be patient with me as though a couple more days was going to make any difference to paying that kind of debt. It's an astonishing debt, but there's astonishing mercy too. Verse 27, the king takes pity on him. He cancels the debt and he lets him go. He writes it off. It's not as though the debt is without cost. It's deeply costly. The king recognizes the situation. He takes the cost. He pays it himself allowing the man to go free. It's breathtaking mercy. And it's a wonderful picture of the gospel, isn't it? We've got an astonishing debt that, can, that we can never pay. When we pray, forgive us our sins, here is a picture of the debt that we owe. We've told him to go away. We've, we, we will make our, our own way of living. We've got a debt that we can never make up, yet he gives us astonishing mercy. He says, I take the debt. I send my son to pay the price so that you might go free. Now everything in us wants to stop here. Everything in us wants to dwell on God's mercy. But that would be like stopping at forgive us our sins and not continuing the rest of the Lord's prayer. It would be to reject the notion that prayer is about what I do as well as what I say. The story's here for a reason and it's it's in what comes next. Because we've seen this astonishing debt, we've seen astonishing mercy, and now we see an astonishing response. And it's not a good response. You see, the freed man is himself owed an amount by another man. And so the scene is set. Just as he's been forgiven, surely he's going to forgive the other man. If I'd been telling this story, at this point, there would have been a touching moment when the first servant reaches out his hand, lifts the second servant to his feet, and says something like, since I've been forgiven so much, how can I do anything but forgive you? Isn't that how you'd write the story? Instead, he finds him, and he chokes him. Give me what you owe. No mercy is shown. Now, the amount this man owes, by the way, is about 100 silver coins. That's not a trivial debt. 
It's not like he only owes a few quid. It's the equivalent of several thousand pounds today. It's three months' wages. I think that's important because sins against us, hurts caused to us, are not trivial. They matter. And had it not been for the fact that we've seen the, the, the man's huge debt forgiven already, well, we may have understood his response. But compared to the massive debt that he's been forgiven, this is trivial. No wonder the king judges him. Shouldn't you have had mercy just as I had, he says? Well, of course he should. But then comes the real sting in the tail. Did you see it? Verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Ow. Ow. Just think about your relationships. Think about the unforgiveness that lurks behind our Sunday gatherings here in church. Think about the unforgiveness in your workplaces, in your family relationships. St. Augustine called this part of the Lord's Prayer a terrible petition. Because he realized that if we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, with an unforgiving heart, in a way we're actually asking God not to forgive us. That's why the end of this parable ends with this terrible statement. Just reflect on it for a minute. If this is how we've been forgiven, how can we refuse to forgive? This parable is meant as a challenge for us all. But forgiveness is complex. Some of you are going to be sitting here now questioning your assurance of salvation. If there are areas of unforgiveness in my life, does that mean I'm not a Christian? Well, the answer to that is no. Forgiveness can be offered but not received, can't it? The other party might not be interested in taking hold of it. I was in a situation where I offered forgiveness for the things that had been done and said, but the other guy didn't want to receive it. He didn't believe that he had done anything wrong, and it still pains me that we weren't reconciled fully. Forgiveness was offered, but it wasn't received. Now that's his choice. I can't do anything about that other than keep offering forgiveness, forgiving in my heart and being ready to forgive when he is. But forgiveness also doesn't mean wiping away the consequences of actions. Life is hard and people do terrible things. For some, there may be legal consequences to what others have done. For others, there may be consequences that never go away through our lives. Lastly, forgiveness can take time. It's not a quick fix. Things can take time to work through until we're ready in our heart to forgive. That's why, Lord, help me to forgive is such a great prayer. And, it may, it, and we may need to keep forgiving the same sin over and over again. That's not because we haven't really forgiven someone, but because hurt and pain exists in us. And we may need to keep coming back to seek forgiveness and to give that pain to God. 
I think C.S. Lewis got it right when he said, we need to forgive our brothers 70 times seven times, not only for 490 different offenses, but for one offense 490 times. You see, the issue is not whether I struggle to forgive. I think we all struggle to forgive. The issue is whether I refuse to forgive. Struggling to forgive is what prayer is about. We're asking to be changed as we pray. So if we're trying, if we have any small desire to forgive, if we're praying for help to forgive, then we're on the right track. Keep going. This parable is urging us on, not condemning us. But don't refuse to forgive. Again, C.S. Lewis said, no part of Jesus' teaching is clearer, and there are no exceptions to it. He doesn't say that we're to forgive other people's sins, providing they're not too frightful, or provided there are extenuating circumstances, or anything of that sort. We're to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often they're repeated. If we don't, we shall be forgiven none of our own he says. It sounds indeed like a terrible petition, but it's also a gracious prayer because it opens the way to our forgiveness and to life with Christ in eternity. It reminds us that we're dependent on him and that our prayers are not just words, but they're actions, that prayer is a verb. And as we pray and as we give thanks for such great forgiveness, we learn slowly, we learn falteringly, we learn painfully to forgive others when they sin against us. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that you offer us at the cross of Jesus. We thank you as, that as he bled and died, that victory was claimed over sin and over death. And it was claimed for each one of us here today. But we don't shy away from the fact that as forgiven people, we are called to forgive others. And so we bring to mind those people and those relationships where we struggle to forgive. And we ask that in your mercy, you would help us to be those that forgive. And where there are any relationships where we refuse to forgive, Lord Jesus, we ask for your forgiveness and your grace that we may love as you love us. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.